0: Politics. This is The Michael Medved Show.
1: And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. It is a great nation in the midst of a great and ongoing political struggle. We just reported on the, uh, believe it or not, $40 million in TV ads, TV and internet ads, that is just purchased by Tim Scott. Who is uh, one of the candidates who's rushing to catch up with Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump at the top of the Republican Party. The uh, uh, campaign is on full bore with literally billions of dollars being raised and spent and so what's it all mean? Where is it all going? And is there really a chance for the Republican Party to pick someone other than Donald Trump or maybe even For the Democratic Party to pick someone other than Joe Biden. All those questions have been pondered by David Drucker, who is a senior writer for The Dispatch. He is also the author of the book In Trump's Shadow, The Battle for 2024 and the Future of the GOP. Uh, David, uh, you recently had a provocative column uh, called Vivek Ramaswamy explains how he will defeat Donald Trump so let me begin by asking you how what does he have in mind
0: well I I, I was uh, part of a small group of journalists that uh, had lunch with mr. Ramaswamy on Wednesday afternoon and I thought what was interesting about his, his comments was that you know in talking to a lot of different Republicans Uh, that are running for president or talking to representatives for their campaigns, Uh, a lot of times the plan is to eat into Donald Trump's base or to dominate among the voters who want to move on from Trump and the Republican Party or to do a little of each. And what uh, Vivek Ramaswamy says he is going to do to win the nomination is basically push Trump out and take over the Trump base. And he thinks that he can do that, Um, and and you know, when we asked him how, uh, the first thing he said to us is that, well, it's because I'm not Trump light or Trump without the drama. I'm going to go further than Trump. That he believes that he is a more fulsome representation of the sort of conservative populism that drove Trump. To power in the Republican Party eight years ago, and has kept him there, and he believes once you know that as Republican voters that support Trump see that and realize that that he will win them over, and so it's it's interesting because uh, just as an example, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has been criticized in some quarters as trying to run to Trump's right or out Trump Trump, Um, and and I'm not sure that he's necessarily doing that as a strategy more than, you know, what you see is what you get with him. But Vivek Ramaswamy, you know, said that Trump's problem is that he hasn't been true enough to the, and, you know, these are these are Vivek's words, America first principles that he espouses. And so, you know, he sees an opening there, and, you know, we'll see if it works.
1: What's uh, an example of a policy difference that uh, Vivek Ramaswamy has already pointed out? He would be he's much uh, more hard line, is he not, on uh, getting the United States uninvolved in the Ukraine war. Uh, Trump's been a little bit ambiguous on that. sent mixed messages, Ramaswamy, not so much.
0: Yeah, and so it's interesting because, you know, Trump will talk out of 50 sides of his mouth. and Whatever works best for him, he picks and voters seem to be OK with that, at least the voters that support him. And um, it, it really, when it when you talk foreign policy with Donald Trump, it really depends on the time of day, the time of year, and the political circumstances. Uh, he's consistent on very few things. Those things are immigration and trade, um, and you know maybe one other thing. And and he's transactional on the rest. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy uh, doesn't strike me as a transactionalist. You know he he wants to pull the U.S. He wants to pull – he wants to cease U.S. assistance for Ukraine, use Ukraine as a bargaining chip to pry Putin away from his relationship with China. Uh, Let Putin keep some of the land he seized. Um, You know, as to how you can trust Putin to keep his word, once you've allowed him to keep the Donbass region, which is what uh, Ramaswamy envisions, he also envisions forcing Putin to remove any military presence from the Western Hemisphere here – These are all well and good. How you can trust Putin to keep his word is is another issue. But then he wants, you know, full attention on China. What I found really interesting in our interview uh, was two things. And one would annoy, I think, traditional Republicans, and one would annoy Trump Republicans, potentially. Uh, The first thing he said to me that was very intriguing um, was that, you know, once the United States no longer needs Taiwan for semiconductor manufacturing, uh, he doesn't really care if China takes it over by force. His words were, I will care a lot less. The calculation will change. What I'm willing to do to prevent that, um, he, he's just a lot less concerned, right? So traditional Republicans, you see the U.S. as the, the sort of global guarantor of, 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 of the West and democracy. They wouldn't be all too pleased with that. But the other thing he said um, that the populace might not like is that you know part of his plan to contain China is these use economic levers. And he believes the U.S. should be in a free trade pact with Asian nations in the Pacific to help lure them away from China, keep them out of China's orbit, uh, keep them in our orbit. And he would like to enter the U.S. into a Trans-Pacific Partnership-like deal. Now, there's one that exists without the United States that was signed, I believe, during the Trump administration. Um, And as you remember, Michael, uh, when Trump ran for office, he he was very opposed to the Trans-Pacific Partnership that Barack Obama had negotiated. And it was very unpopular with voters on the right and the left. Even Hillary Clinton said she wasn't going to jump right into it. Uh, but when you're trying to contain China, it's not necessarily a bad lever to use to keep China's neighbors in our orbit versus China's. And and Vivek Ramaswamy said that uh, he would act to get the U.S into such an agreement in his first six months in office. So uh, there's a little bit for everybody to like and a little bit for everybody to dislike in in his China policy. Uh, It would be interesting to see how it all fared.
1: Right now, there are a number of candidates you've traveled with, talked to virtually all of them, who are just yearning to break through uh, from being also-rans to being competitors to DeSantis and Trump. Which one of them... Or two of them, do you think has the best chance of actually breaking through into the top tier, the varsity competition?
0: Listen, it's hard to tell at this point. I think we're going to know more after the first debate, in part because we're going to be able to see how they perform during the debate, and then we're going to see how voters respond. Um, I'll give you a good example of why this is really hard to answer. I mean, right? We can look at polling numbers, and you know, we can see who's you know doing a little bit better than than others. But I spent a few days with Nikki Haley just after the Fourth of July in New Hampshire, right? And her polling numbers aren't great, and you might assume that means that you know she she shows up at events and there aren't many people there and they don't seem to like her. But you know, I I, I covered her over a, a three to four day period, and I mean she's not you know holding Trump like rallies with thousands of people, but she's holding uh, events that draw anywhere from a hundred you know a hundred to 150 to 300 people. The place is packed. Nobody leaves until after she's finished and finished until after they've gotten to take their selfie, shake her hand and then kibitz with her a little bit. They're very responsive to her and her message. Um, They show up early. They stay late. Right. So here is somebody and, you know, you talk to voters. What did you think? Oh, I really liked her. She said this. I agreed with almost everything she said. All right. So you're going to support her. Well, you know, look, I'm still shopping. And. And so I think right now, you know, obviously, Mr. Trump has his base of support. He's also the most known candidate, and, and he's also the candidate that is constantly dominating the news once again, whether for malfeasance or otherwise, and so it's hard for these candidates to break through. I think the debate might change that.
1: Okay, can you hang on for a few minutes more, David? Uh, sure. Terrific. We will be right back. with And on The uh, Michael Medved Show, speaking with David Drucker, who is senior writer for The Dispatch, he has a book out there called In Trump's Shadow, The Battle for 2024 and the Future of the GOP. Uh, in, in terms of the ongoing campaign, uh, one of the figures who a lot of people had picked to actually gain some momentum and become an alternative to the uh, um, uh, Trump-DeSantis duopoly was Senator Tim Scott. And he's just uh, spent $40 million, a lot of it from Larry Ellison, his mentor, he says. Uh, He's bought $40 million worth of TV ads already, TV and Internet advertising. Uh, What... Does Senator Scott need to do, uh, besides the obvious placing second or third, at least in the New Hampshire primary? What does he need to do to make himself a, a serious alternative to, say, Donald Trump?
0: Yeah, look, I, um, it's interesting, you know, that $40 million is going to be spent over a period of time. So it's not inconsequential, but it's not its not like it's a one-week buy spread over all of the key markets. Um, but, look, I think he's got to – I think there has to be a better sense from him about what his candidacy is truly about and which direction he wants to take the party in the country that differs from Trump and, quite frankly, differs from Ron DeSantis and differs from a couple of others what is he what makes him unique I also think you know he, he look here's an immensely successful um, self made man who's got uh, a lot of charisma and a lot of political talent he's very likable he has got a lot of potential uh, to, to do well in this campaign but I also think he has to uh, be able to handle some of these tough thorny questions. Um, much better right you know i've seen him in in interviews and in candidate forums uh face tough questions about foreign policy or domestic policy on issues where he's bound to offend somebody and you can tell the united states senator in him doesn't want to offend anybody and one of the ways you you succeed in the trump era left or right and, and i use the trump era just as a shorthand for you know post reagan since 2015 2016 is just speaking plainly and not worrying about offending people, because one of the things that's valued so much uh, these days is authenticity. In this sense, that you're not, you know, over talking and massaging your answers. I think he's just got to do a, a, a lot better of a job at that. But if he can do that over time uh, and make his case, then he might have a chance. I'd also say he's going to have to do well in Iowa first. He's got. He, his background, his policy positions are are a decent fit for Iowa and if he you know if you want to be the candidate that is the front runner, you got to do well from the get go I think too many people look at that John McCain campaign from two thousand eight and think that's a model. I'll just skip Iowa and do well in New Hampshire, but he was already a front runner and a front running candidate with that air about him. when you're not that you You've got to start from day one in race one and do well. It doesn't mean he necessarily has to win Iowa. Although I would say, ultimately, if Donald Trump wins Iowa, I think it's going to be very hard for anybody else to displace him in the early races that follows. And then that's the whole ballgame.
1: I appreciate it. I I know you have to run. David Drucker, his uh, new book is about the future of the Democratic Party in Trump's shadow. Uh, appreciate your time and your participation uh, meanwhile speaking of Trump's shadow uh, he had uh, two comments uh, today President Trump about his potential opponent Joe Biden and just think of uh, spending all oh, the next year and a half <laughs> Listening to this back and forth between uh, these two grumpy old men. Uh, Here is President Trump, uh, clip uh, eight uh, from uh, the former president. Listen. And we have a corrupt, compromised president, crooked Joe Biden, who is dragging us into World War III. And that's what's happening on behalf of a nation that paid his family millions and millions of dollars in obvious bribes. All you have to do is take a look at how much China, how much Ukraine have paid the Biden family. It's a total disgrace and a very dangerous one. Under these circumstances, the notion that we would even consider admitting Ukraine into NATO at this time is completely unhinged. Joe Biden can't even walk up a flight of stairs on Air Force One and he can't put two sentences together. The last thing that this incompetent administration should be doing is risking war with a nuclear-armed Russia or China or other countries. We have somebody that doesn't have a clue representing us. Uh, it's a uh, uh, president is not just a representative. He is uh, a leader, or sub- at least supposed to be. Uh, somebody who is a leader passed from the scene today uh it's tough not to mention the passing of tony bennett his uh, professional career spanned eight decades and he achieved uh, a number one album at age 85. he was also recently doing albums where he was paired with lady gaga Uh, he died this morning in new york city he was 96 years old and and uh, Billy Joel said this about Tony Bennett, he said Tony Bennett was one of the most important interpreters of American popular song during the mid to late 20th century, it's a long time. He championed songwriters who might otherwise have remained unknown to millions of music fans, he was a unique voice that uh, made the transition. From the era of jazz into the age of pop, I will always be grateful for his outstanding contribution to the art of contemporary music. He was a joy to work with. His energy and enthusiasm for the material he was performing was infectious. He was also one of the nicest human beings I've ever known. So said uh, Billy Joel. And uh, all you need to do to think of Tony Bennett is hear a a few bars of...
0: It calls to me to be what little cable
1: cars climb halfway to the stars. The morning for a uh I left my heart in San Francisco. Uh, people have so much different feelings about San Francisco today. Um, they have left not just their heart in San Francisco, uh, they have uh, left San Francisco, at least that's true for many people. There's a brand new Gallup poll, which is fascinating. And it's a poll on uh, retrospectively rating American presidents. This is not a story. It's just everyday Americans. And which American president had, of the recent past, had the highest rating, looking back on his time in office, we'll tell you that. And who had the very lowest? Uh, we'll get to that coming up on The MedVeg. I've got you. Deep in the heart of me You're so deep in my heart You're really a part of me I've got you Yes, I did Under my skin That's uh, the late Tony Bennett uh, singing together in a uh, totally seductive version of uh, a classic song uh, performed with Lady Gaga. What's amazing about that is there's a 50 year age difference, more than 50 year age difference. And one of the great gifts of Tony Bennett, who passed away at age 96, is the ability to sound young. Uh, Listen to his voice. Does he sound like he's in his 90s? Wake up to reality. And uh, let us wake up to reality and the reality of a new Gallup poll about the approval of past presidents. And this goes all the way back to John Kennedy, who uh, completely dominates the pack. Uh, John Kennedy remains the most highly rated former president when Gallup asks Americans whether, in retrospect, they approve or disapprove of the job each one did as president. A 90 percent of U.S. adults now approve of the job Kennedy did, a uh, 21 percentage points higher than the second place holder Ronald Reagan. A uh, seven of the nine past presidents receive majority retrospective approval ratings. The two exceptions are uh, Richard Nixon who had only 32% who think he did a good job. Obviously, he was forced to resign facing impeachment. The other exception, uh, the only president ever who was impeached twice. And, uh, by the way, they're still talking about this expungement of the impeachment record, which is just the most lavish waste of time and energy imaginable. But uh, the... Uh, Retrospective approval ratings of Kennedy, uh, George W. Bush, and Nixon have all increased slightly by four points since the 2018 uh, poll. And the only approval rating that has dropped four points from 62% to 58% is uh, Bill Clinton following a seven-point decline in his rating between 2002 and 2018 as a result clinton now ranks behind kennedy reagan george hw bush and barack obama who gets a 63 percent rating uh the point is that with his 46 percent rating of 46 percent uh of the people of america thinking that trump did a good job and uh 54 percent a majority thinking he did not do a good job they disapprove the uh It shows exactly some of the challenges that are facing the Trump administration. And particularly in terms of foreign policy, uh, we just played the last sample of where President Trump uh, now believes that it would be folly to uh, welcome Ukraine into NATO. Uh, which of course we're not doing anytime soon and we will only do presumably once the war is over but uh... john kirby of the state department had a a, a good and constructive statement it seems to me putting that issue in some perspective this is clip nine i want to accelerate this process does he want to get to the negotiating table and you know do, does he believe that this should not, at any cost, turn into a long war, which you said recently it might be. The, it, it could be. The, the President has been clear. We, we think this war could end today if Mr. Putin would do the right thing. Obviously, that's not going to happen. We all want it to end as quickly as possible. The Ukrainians certainly, more than anybody, wanted to end as quickly as possible. But Mr. Putin has shown absolutely zero inclination to be willing to sit down and negotiate with President Zelensky. Quite the contrary. I mean, just in the last couple of days, Martha, he's been striking now at, at you know, Odessa, the port on the Northern Black Sea, and destroying 60,000 tons of grain. So he's doing everything he can to continue to prosecute this war. He's still supplying his troops with the resources they need for this defense in depth that I talked about, all the way from Bakhmut down to Kurzan. So as long as Mr. Putin is not willing, we've got to make sure that Ukraine can continue to fight. If Russia stops fighting, the war ends. If Ukraine stops fighting right now, Ukraine ends, and we can't allow that to happen. Okay, that's very well said, it seems to me. Uh, Here is the latest details from the Washington Post. Uh, Speaker Kevin McCarthy denied that he had made a deal with Donald Trump to hold a floor vote expunging the former president's two impeachments. Politico this week reported that the speaker made a deal with Trump after McCarthy suggested he may not be the strongest GOP presidential nominee And the vote to expunge the impeachments would appease Trump. The votes would place swing seat seat Republicans in a politically perilous position, either siding with Trump or bucking him, which could turn the former president against the vulnerable members. Uh, Multiple vulnerable Republicans have approached McCarthy, asking him not to bring the vote to the floor. And again, given the fact that the second impeachment which was the one that was more overwhelming where there were ten Republicans who voted for it uh, for the impeachment was a particularly meaningless gesture because Trump was leaving office anyway and the the idea that now over a meaningless gesture that failed because Trump was not expelled from office he was not banned from ever running again That it failed, now we have to go back and re-argue it to try to erase it from history? Speaking of being erased from history, uh, there's a new mayor of Denver, Colorado. And uh, he is um, named Mike Johnston. He's considered to be one of the more left-wing mayors in the city's history. And less than 24 hours after being sworn in, the new Denver mayor, Mike Johnston, announced he was declaring an emergency to combat growing homelessness in the city. In making that declaration as first official act in office, Johnston signaled the new administration's priority. Uh, The new mayor coupled the declaration with a measurable goal, get 1,000 people who are homeless today access to housing by the end of the year. What we know is the issue of people living unhoused in the streets is the most significant issue the f- city faces right now, Johnston said at a press conference. Uh, the declaration is a first step toward Johnston's marquee campaign promise ending unsheltered homelessness in Denver in his first four years in office. You think that's going to happen? Uh, but at least some uh, homeless service providers say they are awaiting specifics about how the declaration will translate into more housing options. Uh, using tiny homes and managed tent communities as an answer for homelessness, but getting sites selected and ready to accept residents has taken years at times. A timeline the new mayor says he isn't willing to accept. As a candidate, Johnston said the primary mechanism he said he would employ to get people out of illegal encampments... Of tents and into sanctioned places to live, was micro communities of tiny homes. Uh, then candidate Johnston projected it would cost 35 million to build 1,400 tiny homes necessary to stop uh, to end street homelessness. That's a total that did not include the cost of staffing and services. Well, the idea of staffing and services, what do they need staffing and services for? They need staffing and services to try to persuade the people who are living in these encampments and living on the street to actually accept life in tiny houses. Okay, we have two big movies that are anything but tiny. Uh, Oppenheimer, uh, the new epic from director Christopher Nolan about the father of the atomic bomb, and Barbie, who needs no introduction. That, coming up on The Medved Show. the michael medved show uh it is uh summer uh it is still the month of july uh it is still a glory to live in this country that we were celebrating uh, just a couple of weeks ago for our independence day and it's actually a, a day to especially with the strikes going on the production interrupted To celebrate two big uh, and sure to be very successful movies that are available today, they're not for the same audience. It's hard for me to imagine uh, a lot of people saying, okay, I'm going to go see Barbie and then I'm going to go see uh, Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer is three hours long. Not close to three hours, it's three hours long. It doesn't feel like that because the movie is so skillful. Uh, But let's go first to Barbie, which is only a little bit less than two hours long. And it's about uh, the world's most famous doll. And you see her idyllic life in Barbie land at the beginning. Barbie is played uh, brilliantly, I might add, uh, by uh, Margot Robbie, the great Australian actress who not only looks beautiful and uh, looks like Barbie or enough like Barbie, but uh, actually makes a role of this and makes this uh, doll uh, somebody you can almost believe in. Her um, her partner or boyfriend, uh, Ken, uh, who in this version has sort of bleached blonde hair, not the brown hair that you might be familiar with people who had the actual Ken dolls, But, uh, Ken is played by Ryan Gosling. Listen. What do I have to do? You have to go to the go real world. You can go back to your regular life, or you can know the truth about the universe. Okay. Wow, this is the real world. What's going on? Why are these men looking at me? Yeah, they're also staring at me. If
0: this got out, this could mean extremely weird things for our world. This would be catastrophic! Humans only have one ending. Get
1: there for me. Ideas live forever. Okay, uh, the the film is full of stars. Uh, that's uh, Kate McKinnon, who's almost unrecognizable. She plays weird Barbie, who is a doll who, by its owner's little girl owners, has been colored on and had the hair chopped, and you know, it looks weird. And uh, the Margot Robbie plays the stereotypical Barbie, and all the people who live in Barbie land are named Barbie. And uh, what happens about a third of the way through the movie, there's a crisis. And it's a crisis because all of a sudden Barbie begins to worry uh, that she might be developing cellulite, (laughs) and that leads her to worry about death. Uh, this is is actually not a, a movie that is perfect for little kids. I was thinking while watching it uh, how uh, my six-year-old granddaughter, who has Barbies and uh, loves them, uh, would react to the film, and it wouldn't be uh, good. This is not a, a film for children. It's a film about existence, and particularly the second half of the film is much less entertaining than the first half because the second half of the film, there's an effort by Will Ferrell, who plays Mr. Mattel, who is the head of the corporation that's trying to recapture Barbie from the real world and return to putting her in a box. And they are chasing Barbie, and then she returns to Barbie Land to find that Ken has launched a rebellion by the other Kens, to install the patriarchy in the feminist paradise that was Barbie Land. It's it's never less than uh, handsomely directed by Greta Gerwig. It was co-written by Greta Gerwig's partner. She's best known for doing Lady Bird, which is a great film, and Little Women, which was an even better film. Uh, this movie because it's so uneven with a delightful first half and a a troubled and unresolved second half, uh, which tries too hard to be serious and make serious points. Uh, This film is less successful than Greta Gerwig's other films. Two and a half stars for Barbie. It's rated PG-13 because there are references to... Well, to human sexual equipment and uh, general references to sexuality and other subjects, including a uh, a somewhat surprise ending, <laughs> makes makes not a lot of sense. Uh, one movie where you know the ending, uh, if you know history at all, it's uh, a very different film. Obviously, is Oppenheimer and Oppenheimer tells the story of J. Robert Oppenheimer who was the lead scientist at the Manhattan Project and uh, the film is full of stellar performances. Matt Damon plays the other leader of the Manhattan Project, uh, General Leslie Groves. He's terrific and almost unrecognizable as Matt Damon. Uh, There's also Robert Downey Jr. plays a figure called Louis Strauss and part of the problem and it's the only problem with it what is a magnificent motion picture and uh is fascinating every frame uh the problem with it is if you don't know the history you're going to be a bit confused because it centers on two different investigations that uh, occurred uh, one in 1954 and one in 1959 And the only way you can tell the difference is one of the investigations is in black and white and one is in color. And one is an investigation of J. Robert Oppenheimer uh, as to whether he should have a renewal of his security clearance because people have been exploring in 1954 his youthful associations with the Communist Party and uh, his wife's membership in the Communist Party. And uh, then there's another investigation which has really only tangentially to do with Oppenheimer, which is an investigation of the Robert Downey Jr. character who plays Louis Straws, who was the head of the Atomic Energy Commission, who was fighting for confirmation as Secretary of Commerce in 1959. That connection is complicated. The connection with uh, Albert Einstein is complicated. But it's all fascinating, and if you concentrate, you can put the pieces together. Uh, The uh, craft of the film by director Christopher Nolan is just magnificent. I loved his movie Dunkirk, which was another historical film. And as in that film, he gives a full dimension to historical characters. Uh, The Oppenheimer character is played by uh, Killian Murphy, who is a new young Irish actor who is just terrific. It's a sure thing Oscar performance, it seems to me, partially because it takes the young man from the period of adolescence, where Murphy is convincing, to a period of old age, looking back on some of the complications of his life. One of the questions about... Uh, Oppenheimer, is it's about a theoretical physicist and uh, the developer of the atom bomb. Uh, Why is there so much sex in the movie? And there is. It's an R-rated film, and also because it's about creating the most destructive weapon that human beings had ever developed. And uh, uh, there is sexuality. Not all of it involving... uh, Well, some of it involving uh, 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 Karen Pugh... Uh, uh, playing a, a woman who had a real-life role in Oppenheimer's life, and some of it involving Emily Blunt as his longtime wife. But uh, why is there a lot of sex in the movies? Because there was a lot of sex uh, of, of complicated nature in Oppenheimer's life. Uh, you come out of the film uh, feeling feeling just overwhelmed at the importance of what you just saw on screen and the way that they portray the nuclear explosion and the success of achieving nuclear weapons, which brought the war to a quick end, uh, is extraordinarily artful. Uh, The film was shot Uh, in IMAX, and it'll it'll be shown, even when it wasn't shown in IMAX screens, it is gorgeous to look at. Three and a half stars for Oppenheimer. Uh, Coming up next time on the Medved Show, uh, Miles Taylor is a very controversial figure. He did a piece for the New York Times where people tried for several years to figure out who wrote it. It was uh, signed anonymous. It was written by somebody who was in the Trump administration, and Miles Taylor was. He was also in the George W. Bush administration. He now writes a book called A Warning about what could go wrong with the next president, whoever it is. Uh, We'll be speaking to him on Monday. We'll also be speaking about a new Gallup poll about American belief. Who do you think people believe in more, God or the devil? Well we'll give you the answer and more Monday on the Medved show in this greatest nation on